Imagine an aligned approach to the art of coaching, a perspective that blends both coaching and business mastery, all while honoring your vision, your values, and your intuition. Welcome to the Coach with Clarity podcast. I'm Lee McDonough, an ICF credentialed coach, former therapist, and mentor for intuitive coaches and healers. I'll be your guide as you cultivate both the skill set and the mindset needed to transform your clients' lives and your own. Are you ready to be a coach with clarity? Then let's go. Well, hello, my friend. Welcome to the Coach with Clarity podcast. My name is Lee McDonough. I am so happy you are here with me today because today I am super excited to share another guest appearance I made on an outstanding podcast called Therapist Rising. Now, many of you know that prior to becoming a coach and becoming a coach trainer, I was a psychotherapist for almost 15 years. My background is in social work and public health, and I was a licensed clinical social worker and therapist for a very long time. In fact, much of my work in that field informs how I show up and how I train as a coach today. And that's really what I had the opportunity to explore on the Therapist Rising podcast with Dr. Haley Kelly. And in my conversation with Haley, we really get into what it is like to make the transition from therapy to coaching. I shared my own internalized fear around making that transition and how to handle some external feedback you might get from people and how to handle any judgment or concern that comes up, whether from other people or from yourself. We also explored some of the practical implications of transitioning from therapy to coaching and what to do if you want to do both and how to do that ethically and legally. And above all, my goal with this interview was to provide a true and accurate perspective of what it's like to become a coach and start a coaching practice. I remember when I gave this interview, I had the sensation that time just stopped. It felt like we had talked for five minutes and five hours all at once because it was such a thoroughly engrossing conversation and because Haley is such a dynamic interviewer. That's why I am so grateful that Haley is allowing me to share our conversation with you today on the Coach with Clarity podcast. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Therapist Rising Podcast, where we share real, raw, and behind-the-scenes stories and lessons from therapists who are thinking outside the traditional clinical box and choosing to do things differently in their careers. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Kelly, and I myself have made the journey from a very experienced but super burnt-out and unhappy clinical psychologist turned successful entrepreneur who now runs a business she loves, is thriving financially, and working and living life on her own terms. Join me and be inspired as we speak to other therapists who too are broadening their horizons and experiencing more abundance, joy, and fulfillment than ever before. Together, we will laugh, soak up priceless wisdom, and take actionable steps to help you transition from clinical practice to non-clinical offers and diversify and amplify your income all the while honing your well-being and having work-life balance. If you're ready to be inspired and take action towards your dreams, then you are in the right place. This is the Therapist Rising Podcast.
All right. Welcome to the Therapist Rising podcast. Lee, I'm just so excited you're here. We were just talking a second ago before jumping on and I was telling you how incredibly excited I am to have you as a guest um, on the Therapist Rising podcast. Welcome. Thank you. The feeling is entirely mutual. I am so thrilled to be here. Oh, you're very kind. I guess the first question I'm very familiar with your work because I stalk you, but <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> but I guess the first, I guess the first question to ask you is can you tell us a little bit about you and what you are doing in the world? Absolutely. I, my name is Lee Shea McDonough. I am the founder of Coach with Clarity, which is a training and education company for innovative and intuitive coaches. So I have been in the coaching field coming up on six years. I started out as a coach myself and over time kind of moved into the education and training side of things. And that's really where my passion and, and my love for coaching comes through. Yes, absolutely. And I know that that's sort of your, your area now that you're absolutely positioned within that coaching sphere. And how did you get there? So what was that journey like for you to actually get to that point? Yes. So as it is with many coaches, this was not my first career. Uh, I started as a psychotherapist. So I, I still am a licensed clinical social worker, though I'm no longer practicing as a therapist. But I uh, have been in the social work and public health profession since I started my training in 2001. And I was at the time, a, a military spouse. My husband and I are still married. He's no longer in the military, but when we married, uh, he was active duty and I wanted a profession that I felt could be fairly portable where no matter where in the world we were, I would at least have a shot at finding employment and social work and public health together provided that for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it did take a little bit of time in the States. We have some licensure laws that vary state to state. And so there's always a headache anytime you're moving, dealing with that. But once I figured out how to navigate that piece, really wherever we landed, I was able to find employment. And so I, I did a lot actually as a social worker. I worked in a neonatal intensive care unit, which I absolutely loved. I worked inpatient psych, outpatient psych. I worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs. I worked for the Air Force. I did child psych. I mean, it really kind of ran the gamut. And I'm very grateful for that experience. And then when he got out of the Air Force and we moved to North Carolina, which is where we live now, I took some time off to help my family transition out of military life and into civilian life. And all the while, I kind of had this sense that while I was still feeling called to serve others, I no longer wanted to do it within the mental health sphere. And that's when coaching kind of presented itself to me as an option. Wow. So I guess that that's what a fabulous story, because I guess what you're sort of saying is you went through this period where therapy and being a therapist was, it worked for your life. Mm -hmm. It was convenient. It allowed you to move and, and be a military wife and a military family while maintaining an income. And you had lots of varied experiences, but then at some point in that journey, you felt as though the time had come to move away from that and stepped into coaching. How did you know, how did you know that enough was enough? I 
believe that each and every one of us has been gifted with an intuition. I know some people describe themselves as intuitive. I think we all are. Some Mm. of us might just be a little more tapped into that than others. And so for me, it really was about this little inner voice, this little nudge that I had saying, it's time for you to find something else. And I want to be really clear. It was time for me (laughs) to find something else. I loved my time as a therapist. I have a great deal of respect for people who are in the mental health profession. And I think for many people that is meant to be their lifelong career. For me though, I just, the thought of going back into mental health and going back into providing individual or couples therapy, it, it felt I just got a wave of exhaustion every time I would think about it. Every time I thought about opening a private practice or even doing telehealth, it just, that, that sense of excitement and curiosity that used to emerge whenever I would work with my therapy clients, it wasn't there anymore. And so for me, that was a sign that it was time to explore. And I didn't know what that looked like for a while. I was not really familiar with coaching. Um, and what little I knew of it was, was not fair, but not great. <laughs> and uh, so it, it took a little bit of investigation and, and ultimately some, some things that happened in my personal life with my husband that actually kind of led me into the coaching path. Um, so it's funny kind of how, how life does that. It, I never, ever would have guessed in a million years that I would be a coach and that I would own my own business and that I would host a podcast. I mean, if you had said any of that to me, even seven or eight years ago, I would have laughed. Um, but you know, that's, that's what happens. Life, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. And, and so ultimately it was, it was a bit of a convoluted path, but looking back, I I can, I can see how all of the, the milestones kind of lined up to bring me right where I am today. I love that so much. (laughs) And I think you've spoken about some really important points that I think a lot of um, the listeners will resonate with, particularly around that sort of idea of knowing when the next stage is and what that feels like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know a lot of people uh, who I've come in contact with, and, and maybe this mirrors your own experience, but a lot of therapists feel really guilty and hold quite a bit of shame around the idea yes. of stepping away from mental health and into something that probably still has, particularly from a therapist's eyes, a degree of stigma around it. The coaching field is still very demonized, I guess, yes. by therapists. Yes. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> and I guess I would love you to speak to, was that something that you grappled with with this idea of, you know, the, the therapist shame of turning your back or walking away or moving away? Not that I think it's at all turning your back, but certainly how I've heard it phrased. Is that something you could speak to? Oh, yes. I <laughs> probably could write a dissertation on that topic <laughs> because I absolutely felt that. Um, it took me a year and a half to actually call myself a coach. I came up with so many cute monikers for what I was doing because something about calling myself a coach felt like a betrayal. I really had to come to terms with the fact that I was choosing not to be a therapist anymore and moving into this other profession that yes, is certainly misunderstood and often maligned by therapists. And I understand why 
I, I have, I have very strong feelings about this, but I do understand why many therapists turn a skeptical eye to coaching. Uh, and sometimes it's with good reason. So here I am about to enter this profession that I'm intrigued by and I'm excited by. And a lot of my colleagues are looking at me like, why on earth would you do this? Why would you leave the, the stability and, and the, the, I'm going to say prestige really of therapy to something that is often seen as being a lesser form of helping people. Um, so I was very concerned about what other people would think of me, what my colleagues would think of me. And also maybe even more so I was concerned about what I would think of me. I had grown up with social justice being one of my core values. It was it was how I was raised. I went into social work because I found that profession was so in keeping with that value. So in deciding to no longer be a therapist or a social worker, I grappled with the idea of turning my back on my values, turning my back on a very important part of my identity. That's something I had to do a lot of work around. And ultimately it kept me from being successful in my coaching practice, because if I couldn't even call myself a coach and talk about what I was doing, because I was struggling with my own shame, how can I expect a client to understand what it is I'm doing and want to work with me? I, I can't. Um, so it, it took a while and I probably, I probably made it more difficult for myself for the first 18 months of my business, because I was still trying to figure out where I belonged and, um, it involved a lot of inner work and also just kind of understanding that not everyone is going to understand this decision. Not everyone's going to agree with it or approve of it but that's not their business. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not my business, what they think of me. And it's not their business, what I choose to do with my career. So the minute I kind of got to that point, then I was able to really own my strengths and my gifts as a coach and to talk about that. And then it's probably not surprising that shortly thereafter, I kind of went into supporting other people who wanted to make similar moves in, in their careers as well. Yes. That's, <laughs> that very much resonates for me <laughs> and I think will resonate for a lot of people, particularly around, you know, how you spoke so beautifully to this idea that um, these internally created barriers, these internally created blocks. What was your particular process for working through those? I know you, you sort of mentioned inner work. What was your particular process for that? Well, it's funny because I do feel like I have my therapy training to thank for a lot of this. Back in 2009, I completed a six-month traineeship in acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT. And those of you who are familiar with ACT know what a flexible modality it is. And while it's certainly um, highly effective for um, psychiatric disorders, for depression, anxiety, trauma, the principles of ACT are not just limited to therapeutic work. They're, they're really, you can apply them globally. And that's what I did when I was, you know, sitting at home with my young kids, trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do with my life and who I wanted to be and how I wanted to serve. And I was feeling lost. Uh, I was literally unpacking boxes. We had just moved uh, from Germany where we had been stationed uh, stateside. And, you know, it takes about 
you know, a week or two to get 80% of your boxes unpacked. And then it takes like a year for the last 20%. <laughs> and so I was unpacking one of those, you know, last 20% boxes. It was, it was full of books and I'm pulling the books out and putting them on my bookshelf. And I get to all of my professional books that I hadn't opened because I wasn't working. And there was all of the act literature. And it was like, oh, Lee, you know what to do. You know how to reconnect with your values. You know how to connect that with the actions that you take. Like you've got everything you need to do this. And so I really went back to the basics. I did a lot of the very exercises that I walked my own clients through. I walked myself through them to help me just kind of find my compass again, to get my bearings and to figure out, okay, where do you want to go from here? What matters most to you and how can you take action accordingly? So I do have my therapy training to, to help, uh, to, with that. Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And you did speak to this idea of, um, I, I love values work. It's something that I do a lot in my coaching as well. And you spoke about this idea of who you had to step into being in order to create these shifts in the business and, and these shifts in your coaching career that you then witnessed after about 18 months or so. What were the the biggest roadblocks for you in terms of if they were self-limiting beliefs or actual backlash? <laughs> what were those for you? There were there were both. Uh, there were certainly internal barriers and some external ones as well. I think um, some of the key internal barriers for me, though, and 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 let me be clear, it's not that I fully resolved these either. They they show up um, anytime I'm about to take a big step, you know, make a new leap it, the, the same old stories show up just wearing cuter shoes. Uh, but for me, it was very much about coming to terms with this idea of who am I to put myself out there and talk about this? Uh, am I a fraud? Is everything that I'm doing and creating based on someone else's work? Am I simply derivative? That, that was and remains one of my key fears. And so I had to do a lot of work around that, that kind of self-acceptance piece. And then of course, the idea that I had put so much of my identity into my career as a therapist, and I had to kind of parcel out and, and unweave the therapist piece of me from the rest of my identity, which is a very act thing to do. Actually, when we think about the observer self and the idea that we have the thinking self and we have the self that really does fuse with roles that we play, but we can always step out into our, uh, our observer self, the one that sees all observes all. And knowing that and knowing how to do that helped me kind of separate my sense of self from my career as a therapist. And it's something that I've been mindful of as I've built this coaching business as well. I'm very proud of my business and the work I do. I I love the work I do and I am not the work I do. I'm, I'm greater than that. And I think that wasn't something I knew to do when I was a young therapist. And so I had to do that unpacking and that's definitely informed how I now show up in my business as a coach. Yeah. So the the word that immediately comes to my mind is diffusion. (laughs) You you were using diffusion techniques. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Which those who are with ACT would, would be like, yeah, that's totally diffusion. So that I think is a huge piece, right? In terms of um, 
once a therapist, always a therapist. And I was having a conversation with one of my best friends last night, who is always, who is also a psychologist. And she's saying, I don't know how to not be this title. I don't know how to not be this identity. There's, I think that sort of sunk cost fallacy involved in it to some degree in terms of I've just put 10 years of training education and CPD and all the rest of it into this. But it's also something around helping, like this is the highest expression of helping or or service or something like that, which if I step away from it, I'm abandoning. Yes, I definitely think I put therapy up on a pedestal. Um, and that happened long before I became a therapist. I did that when I was a teenager, when I was 14, I went through a very dark period where I struggled with depression and anxiety. I had panic attacks at school. Uh, it was a devastating time for me. And I remember begging, (laughs) begging my parents, um, to see a therapist. And, you know, this was the mid nineties and we were, just starting to kind of treat mental health as something that wasn't taboo, but it was still kind of early. And I think my parents wanted to support me, but they didn't really understand what was going on. Um, and they were a little skeptical of, of mental health and whether it was something their teenage daughter really needed. Uh, but thank God they, they did bring me to a therapist, a a clinical social worker. So, um, I have, I have him to thank for my eventual path into social work because that was my introduction to, Oh, there is a way not just to get through this, but to help other people get through this too. That, you know, looking back, I mean, that time in my life was so difficult and yet it also opened doors for me that I didn't even know existed. So because of that, and because of the way my life was shaped by an amazing therapist, I really put therapy and the entire profession on this pedestal. And so when I became a therapist myself, I was extremely proud of the work that I had done and I really wanted to serve. And yes, I was kind of like, and I made it, I made it to this, this point that I had always, you know, observed in others. And like, I wanted to be there and I did it. Uh, and then got a little disillusioned as I think happens to many of us in the profession. And, and I had to kind of check my own ego and do all of that work as well, but it made it even harder when I decided I don't want to be on this pedestal. I I don't, this is not how I want to view myself or my work or this profession. Um, I I want to recognize its importance and I want to recognize the work that I do without feeling like it's defining every single part of, of my experience. Yeah. That must've been a quite a dark night of the soul, that period for you stepping away from not only the identity, but also the pedestal wrapped up in the identity and what that must've meant for you refinding or reestablishing then like where is my base like where (laughs) how do I identify from here how do I step back from that and recreate from that point yeah I can imagine that would have been quite a journey for you yes it's it's interesting because looking back I I can see how that unfolded. I don't think I was fully aware of everything in the moment. It was, it's only on reflection where it's like, oh my goodness, (laughs) you, you really went through it. in in those years, like I think back to 2016 and 2017, 
um, so much growth, so much expansion, but with expansion, sometimes we get the contraction as well. And so there was a lot of back and forth. And as I would grow here, I would need to do work here. And it kind of felt like I just had all of these different plates spinning and I wanted to keep them all going. And what I realized was there's, there's only one of me, there's only so much I can do. And so if I wanted to really go all in with my coaching practice, um, how could I do that in a way that honored my background as a therapist and honored all that it provided for me without feeling like, and I have to keep doing it and I have to keep spinning that plate. Uh, and that, that's, that was the journey. That was, that was the 18 months it took me to really figure out, all right, what do I want to do? What's important to me? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the world? Previously, I had shown up as lead the therapist and all of my friends were like, oh, we've got, you know, isn't it great to have a therapist in our friend group? Um, who was I, if I wasn't that person anymore? And I didn't want it to become lead a coach either. I, I just wanted it to be Lee. And so that coaching is something that I do. And it's something that I believe in, but it's just a part of me. It's not all of me. Yeah. I want to come back to the idea that you've raised there around um, how did that unfold for you? But before we move on, because I know this is a really big piece for other people because I'm hearing it from and I've received it myself, what did you do about the backlash in terms of how did you reconcile what you were hearing potentially from the therapist around you about your choices, about the direction, even about your disillusion. Yeah. Cause I'm sure people would have spoken about that too. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, and some of it wasn't necessarily directed at me per se, but I would see in Facebook groups for therapists, all of the vitriol being spewed at the coaching profession. And I would take it personally because I would think, well, I'm entering the coaching profession. I'm studying to be a coach. I'm going through my training program. So if there's this much hatred out there about coaches, then this is how therapists feel about me. So I had to depersonalize it a bit. I had to remind myself that these people on Facebook didn't know me, hadn't met me, didn't know my intentions, didn't know my coaching style or anything about that. And that they probably had reasons for thinking, feeling the way they did, believing what they did. Um, and whether, whether it was kind the way they were talking about it, it wasn't for me to decide whether their opinion or their experiences were valid. Um, and, and the sad fact is because coaching is a self-regulated industry, there are coaches out there who are phenomenal and there are coaches out there who are terrible. There are coaches out there who know how to serve their clients powerfully. And then there are coaches who are manipulative and who are causing harm. And so I suspect, unfortunately, it's the latter group that was being used to represent an entire profession. And, you know, the fact of the matter is there are terrible therapists out there too, you know, and if we're going to paint with a broad brush and we're going to allow the worst of a population to represent that entire population as a whole, that's not fair. I wouldn't do it to a therapist and I don't do it to coaches either. So it involved me kind of separating myself from this kind of global coaching is bad thing that I was hearing. Um, and if someone didn't know me, 
I learned not to put too much stock in their opinion. I think where it was difficult and a little painful was when my colleagues who did know me were questioning why I was making this decision. And with them, I was able to see it as coming from a place of concern. They really did want what was best for me. They viewed therapy as being a steady, reliable career that I had done very well in, that I could continue to do very well in. So they were confused and they were concerned. And so when I could look at it through the lens of they care about me, it made it a little easier to to swallow. And I could recognize where they were coming from without necessarily feeling like I had to agree with them or buy into it. Um, And I, I think even today, some of them are probably still like, wow, Lee, we never saw this for you. Like you're, you're the last person in the world we would have thought would have left therapy behind and like done the whole entrepreneurial thing. I mean, I kind of feel that way too. Um, but I think the fact that I eventually planted my flag and said, this is what I'm doing. This is what I believe in. This is why, and became kind of unapologetic about it, that, that shifted everything. And it, it ultimately, it, it came down to whose opinions do I want to prioritize right here? Certainly not the nameless, faceless people on Facebook and even my friends who don't know the whole story. Like I appreciate that they care about me, but ultimately I'm the one who's in the best position to make decisions for myself. Uh, and that was not easy. I tend to be, um, I'm, I'm a recovering people pleaser for sure. <laughs> I want to make people happy. I want to make people feel heard and accepted and loved. And so the idea that I was doing something that caused people to feel confused or dismayed, that didn't sit well with me, but you know, that, that was just, it was a growth edge. It was something I had to learn how to navigate. And I think a lot of people listening to this will really resonate with that, um, that idea of, and especially, I'm not sure if it's the same in the States, but um, in Australia, at least anyway, we're a really heavily internally policed profession. So the, the most number of notifications to our regulatory board, our, our licensing board, comes from other mental health professionals. Yeah, And so I think there is this huge, there's this huge amount of fear that sits in people who may be trailblazers or visionaries or very entrepreneurial minded where they they're terrified of the backlash. They're terrified of the judgment because the judgment could potentially become a notification <laughs> to the board. Mm-hmm. And so I think people will really resonate with what you're saying in terms of just being able to depersonalize it and step back and recontextualize it as something that's not actually about them, perhaps, but more about people's own fear and mm-hmm. caution and, and all of the rest of it. How did things? I, I think though I, that's such an interesting thing though. I think it's a fine line because I understand where that fear and concern mm. come from. If you're if you're worried that you're going to be reported by your own colleagues, then it's understandable that you'd have that that fear and that concern and that trepidation about moving forward. So it's not to say that 
just coming to terms with it and saying, well, you know, what other people think of me isn't my business. That isn't a, it's, I don't mean it to be like a panacea. Um, and I don't want to minimize anyone's fear. I think it's fair to say that anytime you take a bold step in your business or in your life, that involves a level of risk. And so you do have to ask yourself, what's my risk tolerance here? Like what, what am I willing to have in order to get what I want? Can I hold on to these feelings that make me uncomfortable? Can I hold on to some of that fear and take action towards my vision, towards my dream? I mean, that's at the heart of act, right? That's willingness. That's not trying to get rid of the uncomfortable feelings or fix our way through them. It's acknowledging that they're there. A little bit of assessment in terms of, you know, how, um, how rational it is. That's where workability comes in, but ultimately it's, it's understanding that there will be challenges. There are legitimate risks and can I create space for that and continue to move forward anyway? Yeah. I'm so glad you spoke to that. These are risk tolerance is probably one of my favorite phrases when it, when I'm in business coaching, (laughs) because that's what it comes down to. Right. And you're absolutely right. In terms of working it into an act framework, it is an idea of how much can I hold while also being very cognizant of my values, my bigger vision, my mission, my intuition. How do I reconcile those two things? Um, and you're absolutely right because the the risk of notification is real. Like we literally just spoke about the idea that we are heavily internally policed industries and professions. So it's real, like it's a very real risk, but how can we hold that and then take the necessary steps in terms of business structures and strategies, putting in place things that are going to help us in terms of protecting if we are maintaining our license how do we protect our license in that way which I think leads me to the the next question is how did that unfold for you how did you take I know that 18 months is a really pivotal period for you where things started to unfold and shift and run up against brick walls how did that unfold for you it was messy it was messy part of the reason why when I'm answering questions in my Facebook group or on my own podcast, I take such a hard line about separating your coaching work from your therapy work is because I've been in those messy, muddy places before, and I don't want to see other people go through what I did. When I first started out, I was really confused about, okay, so can I coach as a therapist? Can I do it through a therapy practice? I have this company that I've set up through the state, but it's affiliated with my license, but I'm coaching. Like it, it just got really murky. And I kept like doing all of this work thinking, am I doing this right? Am I going to get in trouble? And that's a terrible way to feel in your own business. And then couple that with figuring out what kind of coach I wanted to be and who I wanted to work with. And a lot of it was kind of on the job training, if you will. And I did have a few clients uh, when I first started out who probably were not well-suited for coaching. They probably were better suited for therapy. And I realized with a couple of them, I don't feel like I'm setting clear parameters around who I coach versus who I would have served as a therapist. It all just felt really murky. And I knew that if I continued to run my business in this way, I probably was going to to inadvertently and unintentionally kind of cross some lines. So I spoke to an attorney colleague of mine 
and kind of sought some guidance. And what I realized was if I'm feeling uncomfortable and if things feel like gray and like I'm in a gray zone, then I need to honor that. And I need to do whatever it is I can to create more um, boundaries and structure in my business. And so that's when I was like, I need an entirely separate business entity for my coaching practice. I need a separate website. I need a separate target audience. All of it needs to be separate because I don't want to run the risk of providing someone coaching, but it winds up being therapy and, oh, they live somewhere where I'm not licensed. And then I've got a board complaint, like all of that really spoke to what, what you were talking about, that fear of being reported. And so while I know many coaches who are also therapists who run both sides of their practice through one business entity, and I'm not here to sit in judgment of them because I did that starting out, but I know for me, I didn't have the risk tolerance for that and having it be something separate felt cleaner to me, especially because of the way my state's licensing laws uh, are written. So again, I am not here to say you should do this or you should do that, but I'm really interested in people figuring out what's going to work best for them. And yeah, it does take a little more work, uh, especially at the start to do everything separately. Um, but for me, it was worth it because then I no longer had that like cloud over my head of wondering, am I doing this right? Am I going to get caught? Am I going to get in trouble? I don't even know what trouble would have looked like, but I had that fear. And so for me, it was like, I I don't want to keep operating that way. Yeah. Hi there, friend. I'm so sorry to interrupt the amazing conversation that is happening right now, but I just wanted to quickly tune in and let you know of the amazing training that we have available currently on our website. We know that you want to step away from the clinical space and build a business on your own terms, but we also know that you probably don't know where to begin, right? so normal and like any other journey embarking on a new adventure it can be super confusing and sometimes scary and so that's why we've created a map for you and to top it off it's free of course introducing to you a therapist guide to diversifying your clinical practice and creating a one-to-many offer it's a free video workshop with an accompanying workbook that will teach you the six steps to creating an abundant and successful non-clinical business that you love. So whether you want to create an online workshop, webinars, retreats, small in-person group programs, evergreen digital offers, coaching services, or whatever your heart desires, this free workshop is going to light your way forward and bring your journey into the six simple to execute but transformational steps that you need. If you want immediate access right now so that you can start building your non-clinical business of your dreams, head over to www.therapistrising.com forward slash training to get access now. And now back to the conversation. So it sounds like you took some really definitive steps towards separating the two business entities and structures, um, which is is certainly a really good step forward. Did that change things for you? Because I can imagine that would have eased the fear and the grayness and given you probably a degree of clarity around like, what the hell is this business? (laughs) What am I doing? I think it was the first step. <laughs> there was still a lot of murkiness. And, and I, I talk about this sometimes. I mean, my first logo for my business, 
I mean, it was so corporate because I believed that to be a successful coach, I needed to be like a corporate or an executive coach, like somewhere along the way, that's what I got in my head. That if I was going to be successful at this, if I was going to give up my first profession for this, I better be successful at it. So corporate coaching, it is, I mean, it's amazing. The stories we concoct in our head, but that was the story that I created for myself. I'm giving up my therapy practice. I have to make this coaching thing work. We're going to go corporate. Well, I mean, I had worked for, I mean, I'd worked for the military, which I think we could argue is a large corporation. It's a unique one, but it's a corporation. Um, and I had done a little bit of that type of administrative work, but I wasn't a corporate coach. I didn't want to be a corporate coach. I love corporate coaches. I'm glad they exist. I am not one of them. And yet I spent a good chunk of my early years trying to be something I wasn't because I thought that's what I had to be in order to be successful. It wasn't until I worked with just a couple too many wrong fit clients that I was like, what am I doing? Like, this isn't fun. I don't feel like myself. This is not at all what I had in mind. And then I, I literally signed up for a course, uh, with a woman who helped people kind of design their own logo, design their own brand. And she really gave us permission to lean into whatever it was that turned us on, um, whatever it was we felt drawn to. And it was through that work that I realized I'm like the antithesis of, of court of corporate and, no one would know that going to my website, looking at my logo. So I had to do a rebrand and I've since worked with designers, but at that moment in time, I did my own branding. I did my own design. And I think that was so important for me reclaiming my business and my identity. That was a pivot point for me. And then I started putting myself out there. Um, I think the pendulum swung a little bit in the opposite direction. I went from corporate to like woo spiritual. And then over time, I kind of found my way to the middle, which I think is where I am now. I view my superpower as being able to marry strategy with intuition. So we're looking at external data and knowledge with internal knowing and intuition to help people make decisions in their businesses and their lives that feel good. And I don't think I would have landed there had I not had experiences on, on both sides of the spectrum. So, um, it, it still was messy and I think I needed that messiness. And if there are people out there who feel like they're in the messy part in their business too, it's probably where you need to be right now, because there's so many wonderful lessons to learn in the mess. And I also feel like if I can use my mess to make other people's messy periods go faster, if I can be a catalyst for them, then, then that's my role. And, and that's, that's something I take pretty seriously. Yeah. But I, I hear what you're saying in that as much as, and, and I identify with, with hopefully being a conduit to ease and flow to some degree for the people that I work with. But I also know that part of the human experience, we learn in the mess, right? Like that's where the nuggets of gold come from. And we learn the biggest lessons about what's next is by what we've just done that didn't feel so great. So I, I love that you're saying that because I think a lot of at least the therapists that I work with um, are recovering perfectionists as well as recovering people pleasers, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I think comes I from the that. same sort of vein. But, um, you know, they, they want it to be, I want to be there and I want it to look this way and I want it to be, I want it to be this successful without doing 
the legwork that really actually cements that thing where it needs to be eventually. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like yeah. that's what you had to go through. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I do think I probably made it harder than it needed to be. Um, and yet I can't say I would do anything differently because I've landed right here where I want to be. Mm-hmm. So, um, but again, I think so much of the work that I do now is about kind of paving the way so that people can, can find their own path and find their own journey. But if their journey happens to coincide with mine a little bit, if I can make their path a little smoother, then, then I feel like I've, I've done my job. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of when I go bushwalking and, you know, if you look left and right, there is literal dense bush (laughs) with sticks and twigs and trees and potentially, you know, creepy animals in there. But Usually if you look around, there's a, there's a well-worn, well-worn path. And that's what we're trying to do for our clients is create at least some degree of a path for them so that if they choose to take it, there is something there already. And there's comfort in that, right? Like, have you found that there's comfort in that, in the sense that, and this, this is the whole reason for this podcast is people want to know that there have been others before them, that this is not like it's just a me thing. I must be losing my damn mind. That there other there are other actually there are other people actually walking this path before me. There's a degree of comfort in that. Absolutely. You know, I think my if you were to ask me what my biggest fear was, and and I remember thinking this when I was 14, experiencing my my darkest hour. And but even now, my my greatest fear was being alone. And the idea that this path that I'm on, I may be alone in this moment, but others have been on this path before me and others will come after me and we're connected. That shines a light on the darkness that removes any sense of isolation. And maybe it's actually, it removes the loneliness. So even though I'm alone, I'm not lonely and I still feel connected to other people. So absolutely. I think there's such power in that connection and knowing that while your experience may be unique, what that, like the greater pieces that there's some universal truth there. And I find that very comforting. Yeah, I do too. And I think a lot of our listeners do <laughs> do too. <laughs> and that's why they want to hear it. And, and one of the very common comments that I get in my Facebook group is around, oh, thank God there's, there's someone else going through what I'm going through, right? Like there's, there's such a degree of resonance and connection that people just crave. Um, so I'm so glad you're, you are paving the path for them, or at least wearing, wearing even further footprints into the path that's already come before you, which is just phenomenal. (laughs) How did that unfold then into where you are now? Because that was a few years ago, right? When you took that step that the 18 months sort of unfolded before you, you had a terrible corporate logo that eventually you dropped and left behind. (laughs) And then you've rebranded and grown into something else. Was that what you are now? Or is that still steps behind? No, I, so when I kind of stepped into more of myself in my coaching practice, 
I realized, even though I was no longer a therapist, I still loved the world of therapy and I loved other therapists. And although there were some therapists who were totally aghast at the concept of coaching, there were other therapists who were intrigued by it enough that they wanted to work with their own coach, especially those who were in private practice, who were looking to find more clients, grow in a, in a sustainable manner. And so many of my clients early on were therapists who were interested in business coaching. So that's what I did for a while. I did business coaching for therapists. Interestingly though, the more therapists I worked with around their therapy practices, the more they were like, huh, this coaching thing is really interesting. (laughs) Can you tell me more about that and tell me about how you became a coach and can you help me become a coach? And so then I kind of moved into um, supporting therapists specifically who wanted to transition into coaching, maybe not fully, maybe, you know, as a side hustle or, you know, 50, 50, I did some private coaching around that. I did some small groups. And the more I started talking about that, the more people started raising their hands, like, okay, you're describing me. I didn't feel safe to talk about this, but yeah, I'm a therapist and I'm kind of interested in being a coach. I was like, all right. Okay. So we're not alone. We, we can do this. And so that's when I moved more into the education piece of how does one become a coach? How can I support these highly skilled, highly trained professionals who want to coach? How can I help them leverage their existing skill set as a therapist and also introduce some new concepts and some new approaches so that they can really be powerful coaches? That is kind of where coach with clarity was born. And that's, I mean, coach with clarity is my business. That's my business name. That's my brand. Interestingly though, it didn't start off as my name or my brand. It started off as like, like a handout, like a guide. I created a guide called coach with clarity. And the more I kind of sat with that, I was like, Oh, that's it. Coach with clarity. that that's my brand. This is what I need to lean into. And so that little guide became a membership and that membership became the whole business. And so now I kind of have different programs under the umbrella of coach with clarity. I've got the podcast, I've got the certification program, the membership, the mastermind, all of it, but it started just from this little guide, this little $27 guide. Um, and I never, again, this is why I think when we can show up to our business with a sense of curiosity and wonder and not feel like everything has to be prescribed or we have to follow a formula, but we can just create some space for those magic moments and to create space for our intuition to speak. It's amazing how something so small can really evolve into something so big and so powerful. That was absolutely the case for me in my business. So it morphed from business coaching for therapists into training therapists as coaches into really training helpers and healers of all stripes. So while certainly a a good portion of the people I work with are therapists and probably always will be, I love working with anyone who describes themselves as intuitive, innovative, a healer, and who wants to serve the world in a deeper way. Those are my people. Those are my people. And so that's what coach with clarity is about. And I love, like, it gives me goosebumps. Um, I love how you've just described this constant state of evolution. Like at no point in time, have you really been stagnant, even probably in your 18 months, I can imagine, although it probably felt very sticky and stuck. um, You've just been in this constant state of evolution. 
and this openness to evolving, right? This, this openness to, oh, this naturally leads into that, like following the breadcrumbs. And this leads then into this amazing coach with clarity company where you've got multiple streams of revenue, multiple offers that are serving people at different levels of need, service, where, wherever they are in their journey. That is phenomenal. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah, thank you. It is. It is phenomenal. I'm going to thank you. Yeah, you own um, that. <laughs> I will own that. I, I want to go back to your, I, your, your reflection, though, that it's a constant state of evolution. I think you're right. I think that's what being a human being is. <laughs> you know, ideally, at least for me, I hope I'm always evolving. I hope I'm always growing. I think though, what I've real, my little, my little earbud just fell out. I think what I've just realized over the last year or so is that the evolution in my business for the first several years felt like it was growing out. Like I was just building more and more and more and getting bigger, more, more of this, more of this, more programs. How can I, how can I add? I'm at the point now where evolution does not look like adding. It looks like refining. It looks like getting really streamlined and structured so that I'm not trying to do too much or serve too many people or be all things to everyone, but instead there's a specificity now to the work. And so it might not look like I am evolving the way I was previously, and yet it still very much feels like an evolution, but much more about streamlining and refining than about, I was going to say about growth. That's not fair. It's still growth, but it's not additive. It, it feels almost, almost like I have to take away, like I have to carve away what no longer needs or wants to be there so I can get to the real heart of my business. Mm. Oh gosh, I love that so much. Where do you think that's going to take you? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, and, and maybe it's the time of year, you know, where we reflect on what we've accomplished and where we want to go next year. For a while in my business, especially early on, I bought into this idea that to be successful, you had to constantly grow, grow, grow and scale and go for your first six figures and then go multi six figures and then seven figures. And now I'm hearing people talk about eight and nine figures. And I'm just kind of like, whoa, <laughs> like if that's your goal, awesome. Like I'm not going to stand in the way of it, but is that my goal? Is that what I want? And I've been thinking a lot lately about what like cultivated, curated growth looks like. How can I have a thriving business and serve people and have a really profound impact, but without feeling like I've got to have millions of likes or millions of podcast downloads? What does it look like to have a small but mighty business? That's that's what I want. That's where I'm headed. So I don't need to be the next Brene Brown or Oprah Winfrey or Amy Porterfield. I can be me and I can be well-known and well-respected in my very niche field 
and know that I'm serving my people powerfully and that my business will always be at a size where I can be directly involved in it. That's the other thing I've seen happen is when people experience rapid growth and they hire a lot of team members and they're bringing on a lot of new clients or members, that person who started it all sometimes gets removed from the day to day. And then their people are like, where's this person? Where did they go? Like, I wanted to learn from them. I wanted to be in their presence and they're not there anymore. I've been on the receiving end of that and it doesn't feel good. And so I'm really asking myself, how can I make sure that I stay present in my brand? If this is a personal brand, which it is, how can I grow and yet not exceed my own capacity and not burn out and still feel like my people are getting the best of me? So I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I do know that that's what's guiding my decisions moving forward in my business. It feels like the next evolution, as you were saying it before, like this is the, you've sort of got to that point where external growth is sort of maybe hit whatever capacity it's going to hit at this moment in time. And now it's almost like this shedding and stripping and evolving on a much different level which I just find delicious and amazing and so exciting. Do you have a sense of how that's going to feed into your business? Do you have a sense of, um, do you feel like this is going to create simplification? Do you feel, is there any, is there any sort of nudge in terms of what this potentially could look like for you? I think it looks like more of what I'm doing already. I love the membership program that I run. That is something that I think could expand and could grow while still allowing me to have like regular involvement in it. So I definitely think the membership is a, is a scalable vehicle where I can serve more people, not too many. I don't want it to become like thousands, but it can grow a bit and I can still show up and have connection with people within it because that's, that's priority one to me. I want to feel connected to my members. So I do think it looks like keeping the bones, the, the infrastructure of the membership as it is, because I think it's pretty strong, but kind of growing that. My certification program, that's for coaches who are interested in um, a, an official credential, whether through the International Coaching Federation or, or other similar organizations. And it's interesting, that's another area where I went big at first. I did this full on 125 hour training program, get everything you need. Um, and it went great the first round. And then the second time I launched it, it really fell flat. And I was like, what happened? Wait, this, this went so well, why is this not working? And I think there were a lot of factors at play, but one thing I heard was that it was just too much. Not everybody necessarily wanted all 125 hours all at once. Um, and so it was like, okay, all right, I hear you. So let's go back to the drawing board. I have a strong curriculum. I have all this content. The program itself is strong, it just needs to be restructured. And so moving forward, I'm looking at having more of like three levels instead of just one. So people can choose exactly how far into this they want to go. And it's really about meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. And so that's the idea of things don't always have to be big. Sometimes it's about taking what you have and refining it and streamlining it so that it's just a simpler process for everyone involved, certainly my students and my members, but for me as well. 
And so then it looks like, okay, so how, what does managed growth look like and how can I bring on team and how can people support the evolution of this business? And I'm still a part of it. Like I'm still there. So yeah, I I don't exactly know what that's going to look like, but, um, what I do know is I never want to be one of those coaches who is involved in the marketing and not in the service delivery. Like I want to be involved in, in all pieces. And if I get to a point where I can't do that, well, then, then we'll look at what our options are. Maybe, maybe that's where I have to start looking at an exit strategy, but I'm nowhere near that point. I'm, I'm still in this for the long haul and I'm excited to see what happens next. I, I don't know what that looks like, but that kind of excites me actually. I feel excited for you. And what I hear you saying in a really big way here is again, leaning into intuition and figuring out what feels good to you and aligns with your values in terms of that's then how I'm going to run my business. That's then how I'm going to design my programs. That's then how I'm going to craft my offers really solidly reflected in who I am and what I want to bring. Mm-hmm. which I think is just so amazing and important because you're not saying that people who want to be sort of one step removed from the delivery of the business, you're not saying that that's a bad thing. That's just not what you want. That's not what, how you want to run your business. It's not what you want in terms of the experience for your clients, which is gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. You know, there are a million different types of business owners and a billion different types of businesses. And at the end of the day, I think it's about figuring out what works for you and what works for your clients, your people, your customers. And if there's a misalignment there, then then that's what causes a lot of headaches and a lot of strife. And so, yeah, it's not about saying my way is the right way or the only way to do it. It's not, but it is my way and it's how I want to grow my business. And so when I'm working with my, my clients, I want them to find their way. And so whether it's in the membership or the certification program, whether we're working one-on-one, I never want them to feel like I have some magic formula or some prescription that they have to follow and they have to follow it to the letter in order to achieve success. I'm not about that because that negates what they bring to the table. If I'm trying to shove them into this box that I've created, then I'm doing them a disservice. What I hope is that they can see and learn from what I've done, take what works, leave behind the rest and add it to what they bring to the table so that they're creating their own approach. And so that path that I've worn, maybe they're following it a bit. Maybe they find their own kind of a, you know, they, they kind of find their own fork Maybe they come back to it. I mean, it's, it, I want it to be an additive process um, because that, that works for me. And, and that, that is very much anchored in, in what's important to me. So, but it took me a while to get to that point. It, re- it really did. That was not anything I was fully aware of when I started my business, that, that really came through, through the mess, through those messy periods, and then really figuring out, okay, how, how do I want to show up in my business? How do I want to show up to the world? Yeah. I, I, I'm hearing that loud and clear. And I think that's the biggest takeaway that I'm having from this conversation is just how deeply committed you are to listening to the intuition and the whispers and, and being able to step into alignment with that, even if that is messy and hard and not always perfect. It sounds as though you've really committed yourself to being able to live in that expression. 
I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> we all have our days, but on the whole, you know, <laughs> it's, it's what I strive for at least. Yeah, definitely what I'm taking away. So I guess Lee, how I wanted to bring this together was to ask you if you have any advice for the therapist who may be currently in between sessions or on their way home from a big day in the clinic, seeing clients one-to-one, or maybe someone who is a little bit more established and they started to take steps towards creating some degree of diversification in what they do. Do you have any advice for them based on your experience? There is such value in learning from others in listening to other people's stories, in taking their experiences and mining them for gold that you can use in your own business. And that has to be married with your own internal knowing and your values. So I think really, I want to give people permission to create a way forward that will work for them. And if that looks like staying as a full-time therapist and maybe creating something on the side, that is just as legitimate as a full-on business that is completely separate from therapy. There's no one way, there's no one right way to do this. And I think I just want to give people permission to explore to discover what's going to work best for them to understand that sometimes that discovery comes from some missteps and some misfires, but there's value in that too. And that whatever it is you choose to do, if it's, if it's in alignment with your values and if it seeks to, to better the world, then you're on the right path. Even if it feels lonely, even if it feels dark, that's where anchoring yourself in in your values and in finding community and in having faith in yourself, that's a, that's pretty critical. So I guess that's really my takeaway is that you're right where you're supposed to be and you have permission to explore. And even when it feels lonely, you're not alone. Yeah. I love that permission to play and find some friends. (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. I Absolutely love that. And I think a lot of people really appreciate that as a reflection um, and find it quite comforting. So Lee, where can people find out more about you, about your membership, your certification, your mastermind, your podcast, and all of the other incredible things (laughs) that you currently have on offer? The best place is at my website, coachwithclarity.com. That's where you'll find the membership, the certification, the podcast. You can listen to the Coach With Clarity podcast pretty much anywhere you download your shows. Uh, And then of course, I'm also on Instagram at Coach With Clarity. And I love Instagram for connections. I think getting to be one-on-one with someone in the DMs is just such a magical thing. Uh, I'm like obsessed with voice memos in Instagram too. It's one thing to type, but it's just another to hear someone's voice. So come find me at my website, come find me on Instagram. And I would love to continue this connection. Oh, thank you, Lee. We we will link all of those up in the show notes um, so that they're available. I am a huge fan. I love your podcast. It's one of my most listened to podcasts. Um, So I definitely recommend other people get, get to know Lee, get to know your work because 
again, what I absolutely feel is that you are the embodiment or at least the attempted embodiment, because we can never be quite perfect, can we, of leaning into intuition and really following what feels good in that moment and learning the lessons along the way. Well, thank you. What a, what a compliment. I take that with me. Thank you. I hope so. Thank you for joining us, Lee. And thank you everyone for listening in and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for joining me for the Therapist Rising podcast. We publish new episodes every Wednesday. If you're loving this content and it speaks to you, please be sure to head over to subscribe and give us a rating and a review. It would mean the world to us. We will see you next time for the Therapist Rising podcast. Thanks for listening to the Coach with Clarity podcast. Be sure to visit coachwithclarity.com for detailed show notes and bonus material just for podcast listeners. Did you enjoy today's podcast? If so, then I invite you to check out the Coach with Clarity membership program exclusively for intuitive coaches ready to master both the business and the craft of coaching. You'll discover monthly hot seat coaching calls, Q&A sessions, and guest expert trainings, as well as the most supportive and innovative community of coaches out there. If you're ready to take your coaching to the next level, then you're ready for the Coach with Clarity membership. Learn more at coachwithclarity.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you know a coach who could use a little clarity in their work and life, then please share this episode with them. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Coach with Clarity podcast. Until then, go show the world what it means to be a coach with clarity.